Hear the reading of the second letter of Peter. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Several weeks ago, I heard someone say after the worship service, oh, I wish I had remembered there were notes in the bulletin. I could have taken some. (laughs) So I'm just going to remind you that that notes page is there, and... uh, you can be following along in that note page, or frankly, you can just ignore me and make your own notes. That, uh, that sometimes, honestly, sometimes I do that in, in time because the notes are so good. Talk about Second Peter, that first section. Begin by uh, talking about the Church of Jesus Christ. I've been around the Church of Jesus Christ in various congregations for all of my life. In fact, my mother used to like saying about each of us kids that we were in church three times a week before we were born because she was the pastor's wife and one who chose to be involved in everything, you know. So she said, you were in church a lot. Anyway, so I can say about uh, myself that I know a lot about the church. I know about the many, many activities and programs and efforts and energy activities that go on in the church. I mean, I'd have difficulty making a list of all the things that I know personally been involved in and that I've seen people in the church do. I I was just thinking of a short list. Uh, Worship services of many kinds, from formal cathedrals to informal camp meetings, <laughs> Bible classes, canoe trips for teens. Oh, I love to go on canoe trips out here in uh, Indiana with the kids from Chicago. And then we had car washes to raise money for the canoe trips. You know, that's, that was the ministry of the church. Uh, counseling centers, child care centers, summer camps, 
We have lots of those in the Covenant Church, summer camps and year-round camps. Addiction recovery programs, mission trips to faraway places and some not so far away. Language classes for those who are new immigrants to the U.S. and employment preparation for those immigrants. Refugee sponsorship. I mean, on and on and on. We can list the things that go on in the name of Jesus Christ, all done with great compassion and great concern that we would be able to do what God wants us to do in the name of Jesus. But here's the question. What is the main thing? In the midst of all those activities that could be done and are being done under the banner of the church, capital C as well as this church, what's the main thing? What's it really all about? We could lose focus on the great thing by being doing all the good things. Our Sunday night group that meets every other Sunday has been reading a collection of writings by C.S. Lewis. He's one of the best Christian thinkers and writers of the 20th century. Uh, In one of the pieces we read for the previous session, not the one for tonight, but the one for two weeks ago, he expresses in his own simple but sharp way what the church is all about. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, indeed, to make them into little Christ. If we're going to know the highest purpose and the deepest joy of being in among God's people, I think we need to continually check ourselves and our customs and our organizations with this question. Is Jesus number one in this? Does this purpose, this group, this effort, this activity, this tradition, this new thing, does it lead us into a deeper relationship with Christ so that we become more like him? We come to him, we learn from him, we learn to live like him. Or is the leader, the custom, the tradition, the new thing, becoming the thing rather than Jesus? Am I building on the rock or am I flailing around on soft sand? Well, what happens if we ask that question seriously this morning or any time? What is that going to lead us? I think it leads us far away from the kind of haphazard, careless, hang-loose lifestyle that's so popular in our culture. And it leads us to seek for a purpose and meaning and growth and joy in becoming more like The master. The Apostle Paul summarized his life commitment in Philippians 1.21. You've heard it before, but have you really heard it? (laughs) For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's suppose that we take that statement as more than just a nice statement by someone far away and way back in town, time. And let's suppose we take that as more than just a lofty ideal that someone has put down on paper at some point. What if we truly want to build on the rock of Jesus? What do we do? Well, Peter tells us what to do, doesn't he? In the passage we just read for us, he says, take the next step. There are more steps. Move on with Jesus. Take another step forward with him every day. 
Truly Christian living is not stagnant. It is not resting on our laurels. It is not saying, oh, I followed Jesus when I was 35, and boy, wasn't it great. What's happened since then? Well, I don't know. Movement, not stagnation, is the character of those who come to Jesus. Change, even risky change, is the lifestyle of those who follow Jesus, who make him number one. Now, this conviction that to follow Jesus involves change and movement is at the heart of the movement out of which the Covenant Church was born in the 1800s in Sweden. The church was stagnant. It was, I hate to say this, but it's true, it was dead. It was a state church. It was owned and operated by the state. It was ineffective. And in that environment, a a Bible-reading movement swept through the German and Danish and Norway and Sweden. And those early covenanters, of course, in Swedish, learned that there was a new life in Christ that was available to them every day. And they learned they could read the Bible and they could understand it. And the Holy Spirit would teach them from the, how to take another step forward. In many ways, in their own culture and time, they became people who moved out in faith with Jesus, learning to live his way, trusting in his power and his love to carry them into new ways of living. And some of them wound up in the United States. See, belonging to Jesus is always a matter of moving on to greater experiences. One of the questions often asked among those early covenanters in Sweden and then in this country is, do you live the life that's new? They meant, are you just stuck in some place in tradition or custom or culture or language? Do you live a new life in Christ today? In a few moments, we'll come to the table of Jesus again. And we do believe that all who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, whether or not you're a member of this congregation, you are welcome to receive the bread and the cup. But we also say it's only those who know Jesus. This is not just a religious custom. This is not just a nice thing to do once in a while. This this table is a time when we are challenged to say to Jesus for the very first time or for the 1,000th time, Jesus, you are my Savior and Lord, and I am going committed to walking with you wherever you lead. However that happens, that's what it's about. So as we move to the table, let's take what I call a spiritual selfie. Now you know about selfies, right? I've tried doing that. My wife can tell you, it doesn't work out real well. I mean, you stick that thing out there, you know, and you go, and then you try to smile. You know. And you take the picture, and I don't know about you, the very few that I attempted, I don't look very good. Nor does my wife if she happens to make the mistake of being in the same picture, you know. Maybe that's the point of the selfie, isn't it? Maybe to show us the real person rather than the formal one with all the photoshopping and all the placing of everything. You know. There I am, you know. I think we need to take a spiritual selfie to make a real genuine commitment to come to Jesus is the first step in knowing what it means to be his people, to make that serious commitment. And then there are daily steps forward where we say, now, okay, God, what are you saying to me now? Where do you want me to move now? What, What are you ready to change? What part of your life do you want me to experience now? So the question for me and for you, too, is are we ready, are we ready to come to the table? And 
to take the next step, whatever it is that God says for us. Now, Peter gives us a list of some qualities of life that's not intended to be stacked up, like do this one first and then do this one, you know. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying these are characteristics of those who have learned to come to Jesus, are building on his life, are listening to his teaching, are becoming like him. And this is what can, and he would say, should be happening in your life. One of them, it says goodness. And one of the problems with modern translations, they make it too easy. The, the real word underneath there says virtue, which is an old word, but virtue is a stronger word. Goodness means just being nice to people. You know. It can mean that. But the word underneath is virtue. It means, it means living a deeply moral life. A life in which the high standards of the Bible for honesty and integrity and morality are taken seriously in all dimensions of life. It, it means moving in his direction and saying, ah, this is how you want me to relate to myself and to other people. What's your next step? What is God saying to you about what your next baby? It's something as fundamental as asking if there's something I need to say a very enthusiastic no to. Say, no, I am not going to talk like that. I'm not going to think like that. Or, on the other side, maybe it's something he's saying to you or to me, saying, say yes to this, Don. Yes to this. This is how you want to live now. This is where you need to go. Some obvious, should be obvious to us, say no to sexual immorality or lust or greed. Oh, we're good at greed in America. Lying. Rage, malice, slander, filthy language, theft, selfishness, all these are listed in the various places in the word. And say yes, say yes, yes, I want to be compassionate and humble and holy and generous and tender, oh tender, and blessing in how I speak. It isn't any easier today to live this kind of life of virtue, goodness on the deepest level, than it was in the first century. Maybe it's even more difficult because of the culture that bombards us constantly from the media with all sorts of messages that are not in keeping with what God has for us. Maybe the next step that we need to commit to this morning as we receive the elements is to say, Lord, I need to make a moral inventory. Where am I really? Where am I really? And what can I move in your direction? This, of course, means that you have to learn something. You have to know what is right and wrong as God has given us. What do you know about God and his direction for life? Are you reading? Are you thinking? Are you asking questions? Uh, what do you know this year about the life of Christ and where you live and with whom you live? What do you know this year that you didn't know last year? What do you, what do you know this month that you didn't know last month? Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He quotes from the Old Testament. He says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, love the Lord, this is a great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind. Add to your faith real knowledge of God. Make the effort to, to really understand more of what God has said and done and what he has for you. That means questioning things in your small groups, at home, with your spouse, with a friend. Question, discuss, probe, disagree if you must. Find out what God is saying to you now from his word. Think carefully. I just, Darlene and I just came back from a retreat for pastors and spouses in Ohio. It was a beautiful time. It was a quiet time, but a very intense time during worship and focusing on what does God really say. It, and I was deeply moved in more than one of those sessions with the presence of God and the truth he has for us. 
how it applied to my current situation as I deal with various things. It's very real, very intense. And that's part of the Christian life. That's important. But we need to go beyond that. We need to grow in knowing the Word of God and know the truth of God and asking for God to help you change thinking and behaviors and language in keeping with His Word. Frankly, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's much easier to just kind of float along, you know, and just, well, it happens, it happens, life goes. It's hard work sometimes to grow. But wouldn't you rather be a mature believer than an adult-sized infant? <laughs> and so often, truthfully, that's what we're doing. This means we move on, as Peter says, to self-control. Takes a lot of work sometimes for self-control. That's not a very popular idea in our culture either. Right? It wasn't popular in the first century in the world to which Peter was writing. It isn't popular today. I mean, self-indulgence and self-focused believing and acting and speaking. If it feels good, do it. Come on, have fun. You know, that was first century, twenty-first century, same thing. There are a multitude of desires and ideas and fears and hopes and plans and confusions that move around in our brains all the time, if you're anything like me. And there are conflicts among some of these internal happenings. And some of these things that I think about and you think about are positive and good and worthwhile, and some of them are pretty ugly and bad. They're all kind of there. And so what's needed is self-control, by which we really mean Christ's control. We really mean God in Jesus. Come and take control of how I think and how I see things. If I go on my own, I'll just be flopping around on sand, like I said earlier. I'm just flopping around. It means saying, you know, I really want to control my thinking about him. I've got some feelings about this person. And God, you need to take control of that because what I'm thinking and what I want to say is I have to confess it's not right. It may be saying, God, take control of my work situation. It, it's not good. And I really want to find your purpose and your plan in my work and how I do things. And with my friends at school, there, there are things going on in conversations and things being discussed that I, I, don't, I don't think they're right. I, I need to have you in control of that, to direct what I see and what I hear and what I think about. Now, the good news, what I've just said sounds awfully demanding, and it is. But the good news is in this text, too. It says... His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has given you what you need to do this. Call your attention to it. Say, God, you're with me? Okay. Move in and through me. With you, I can do it. This is good news. Now, when you think about change of how we live and how we think, we have to admit that this isn't usually something that takes place instantly. You say, I am going to be the most moral person who ever lived on my block. Now, instantly. No, it takes some perseverance. It calls the old-fashioned word a stick to itiveness. We are born again into God's family when we put our trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That is something that God claims us instantly. You say yes to Jesus, God says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong to me. Forever. But then we need to grow up. And growing up takes perseverance, stick to itiveness. It means focusing on the point, the change of point and growth that God has for us and saying, 
yes, God, today, tomorrow, the next day, next day, next day, I'm going to follow your control. I'm going to let you have control. I'm going to move in your direction, even when it isn't easy to do, even when I have to correct myself, even when somebody else has to correct me. I'm going to keep moving in your direction as you give me the wisdom to do it. Perseverance. I have a habit of going to a place called the B&O Trail, which is uh, not far from our house in Brownsburg, and it's a wonderful place to go for a walk. It's uh, an old railroad bed. It's, you've seen them around here. And I like to go for a walk there, and uh, I think I walk along a you know, pretty good pace until somebody runs past me. I think, well, okay, I'll walk a little faster, you know. And then what's embarrassing is by the time I'm at the, at the, almost at the end of my walk, she is running back past it that way. I'm going, whoa. <laughs> now I could beat myself up about that, or I could just say, well, that's me and that's her. You know? And I say in the Christian walk, don't, don't beat yourself up by saying, oh, well, he, she, she's, oh, oh boy, I, oh, I should be really guilty because I'm, no. What is the next step? What's the next movement in God's direction that God has for you? Rejoice in it. Accept it. And then take the next step. How great it would be to come to the end of this year and say, you know what? In a couple areas in my life that I know God's been moving me forward, I've really been moving forward. I'm, I'm better at being a Jesus person now than I was in October. It's, it's really good. I'm grateful. What is your next step? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. All those sound like pretty hard things, but then you get to the last one, godliness or kindness and love. God, godly living is not harsh. It's not mean-spirited toward yourself or other people, either one. Stepping out with God leads to, really, to greater kindness and deeper love for those who touch your life. It really does. God is deeply in love with you, and he's deeply in love with the people who touch your life, and he wants to pour some of that kindness, if you will, that love through you into their lives, whoever it might be. Stepping out with God leads to greater kindness and deeper love for those who touch your life. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus and you're in this room, I'm sorry to tell you, you are my sister and my brother, and you have to love me. It says that in the Word. And I have to love you. I have to want to love you. To be moved by the Spirit of God to say, oh, she's really terrific. But what I know about him is wonderful. Can I encourage them? Can I affirm that person? Show me how I can make their life richer and deeper because of my contact with them. Kindness and love is a critical step that needs to continuously to happen as we allow the Holy Spirit to be part of our lives. We belong to him. We belong to each other. And, and, And having experience some measure of God's love and care for us within the family of God, having discovered my sister or brother as someone who really is quite wonderful and amazing given their lifestyle and what they've been through and what they've done. It's quite amazing that they are here today and they're, wow, having discovered that. Then really, the more God moves you into kindness and love for his family, the more he's going to open your eyes even in the most mundane kind of circumstances, to see the people around you in the rest of your life who also need to experience God's kindness and love. And Walter Wangren is currently one of my favorite writers. He died recently, one of the great Christian writers and thinkers, also of the 20th century. In fact, he died just a few years ago. And in one of his uh, books, he's writing about a number of various experiences that are quite moving to me, but one little clip I remembered this morning. He said... 
he, had, he described two opportunities he had to fill, put gas in his car. Uh, can you think of a more mundane thing to do than stopping at a gas station and putting gas in your car? You can't do it. Too expensive now. Blah, blah, yeah. So he said, this one time I was standing in the rain <laughs> putting gas in my car and you know, feeling not good. And behind me I heard this friendly voice say, hello. And I turned around and here was this young man, gas station attendant, saying, hello, can I help you? And, I, and it was so good. He said, just, it was so good. It was miserable. It rained, you know, and he, hello, can I help you? And he looked at me like he really cared. About a week or so later, he was in another gas station, filled up his tank, had to go into the store to, to fill it up. He walked up to the counter with his, he said, $17. Wouldn't you like to fill up your tank for $17? Anyway, filled my tank for $17. I walked up to the counter, and, and the woman did not look at me. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do with that money? I'm going to pay for a bill. Put it here. End of interaction. That's it. And he came away from that saying, I want to be like the first guy. <laughs> in all of the interactions I have in the mundane places in life, just that little bit of the kindness of God needs to be given away. Hmm? Now, are you too busy to do that? Yes, you are. <laughs> you've got things to do, you've got places to go. Filling up your gas tank is a nuisance, and you just got to do it, get it done, get out of here, you know? But that's an opportunity to take an next step forward in living the kindness and love of God. Are some of the people who rub against you really very abrasive? Yes. Some people who rub up against you hurt when they do that. One of my discoveries, which I wish I would discover every time, <laughs> is some of those people who are most abrasive and are most difficult to live with, to touch, are the people who are most in need of the love of God because underneath all that, they are really hurting. And they need to know there is at least one person who cared about me today and listened to me. And sometimes all it takes is a just a good, simple question said with sincerity. How are you today? And you might be amazed at what people will share with you. And you have the opportunity to give them an experience of the love of God, which you are experiencing in abundance among God's people. Take a spiritual selfie as we go to the table. What, what needs to be changed? What is pleasing to God? Don't, don't be cr so critical of yourself. You're talking yourself down. Don't do that. That's not, as C.S. Lewis says, that's, that's not Christian humility to say, I'm a terrible person. No. But what, what is good? What, what has God been saying to you? What, what have you learned? Celebrate that. And then and say, God, what, what is the next thing? What was another step, small or large, in your direction that I can take? as I receive the bread and the cup, as I move into the life that follows. Honestly, it's rather boring just to stay the way we are. <laughs> it's better to move forward. And listen to how Peter ends this section. I think this is wonderful, verses 10 and 11. And Peter says, If you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome I love that. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Savior Jesus Christ. Again, if you do these things, you will never fall. 
and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that is something to look forward to. Because we've continued to build on that rock and we're stepping out with Jesus every day as he directs. God, help us to listen to your word, to live it. Thank you for all the steps forward toward you that you have in mind for us today and tomorrow. We invite your Holy Spirit to make it real and to enable it happen. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.